I don't know that I've ever <coughs> heard that song before, but I love it. I hope you'll sing that again before uh, the meeting's over. My. I don't know who that was that wrote that song, but I do believe they knew God and the Savior's wonderful grace. How, how is it possible that people who have once tasted of this heavenly gift could cast it away? I know it can be done. I understand that. I've known people a lot over the years who have. My, it isn't. It couldn't be easy to cast this away, to forsake this. Hallelujah. Well, I'm not going to do a lot of preliminary talking tonight because I know I kept you a long time uh, last evening. So I want to go directly into the Word of God. And I appreciate this opportunity. As I've stated, I look forward to it for a long time. And... Uh, after the pandemic took place, I was locked out of Israel for two years and uh, just, give it, just given up our apartment there, just the mercy of God, and flew out and was not able to enter back in until April. Uh, and then Spain, we kept putting that off. And then I ended up having to sneak in through another country, and you know, it felt like uh, James Bond. But uh, anyway, now they've taken all of their restrictions off. But uh, so anyway, I'm thankful to God that He's done this, and I'm just uh, found out that uh, tomorrow I don't have to take a test to get back home. So uh, praise the Lord for those things. Appreciate you. Would you stand? I'm glad to have. Uh, Oh, good folks here all the way from Baton Rouge, uh, Louisiana, at least uh, for now. I, I know that I uh, appreciate them coming. And then Brother Jay, all the way from the south. And Jay and I have known each other a long time, all 20 plus years, I guess. And I was in Fiji working with him, and he was doing a great work there, he and his family, and so I'm so glad and I appreciate him as well. Turn with me, Hebrews chapter 4. I'm uh, traveling the same vein that I have for some time. I just believe it's the will of God Jesus said to his disciples, he said, there is much I, I want to give you, but you're not, at this time you're not able. Well, that's only partially true here. You're, you're able to receive it, but I just don't have the time to share it. But I prayed, and it's not, not having asking God for something to say, but just what to leave out because of the short duration of our time. But I do believe the key to everything, I may be getting some things, uh, the cart before the horse, but uh, the key to everything is what I'm going to talk to you about tonight. And that is the presence of God. The, ah, oh, folks, somehow we have to understand that. One of the old prophets said, in thy presence is fullness of joy. 
He's not just talking about exuberance or emotion, but he said, in your presence is fullness of joy. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. Yeah. And I believe in emotions, but that again, that's not talking about emotions. That's talking about a supernatural joy that comes. The Bible talks about drawing water out of the wells of salvation. So anyway, I'm promised not to do that, and here I've done it. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. I want to start with verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, and of you, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, and not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into the rest, or into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place on, of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? Now, if you go back and research that, you'll find that where Jesus there is Joshua, uh, <clears throat> not the Jesus uh, that we talk about Jesus. Somehow the translators put the word Jesus for Joshua. You, you, you can go back and research it, but please not now. There remaineth therefore rest to the people of God, for he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. I, I just title this, The Call Beyond and the Rest of God. Would you pray with me tonight? Father, I thank you. And I, I always give you the glory and always ask in front of the people that you give me that fresh oil and fresh unction and fresh anointing. And I pray that you would anoint the people to hear and to receive the word of God. I have no talents or gifts or abilities outside of you. Yes. But I pray that you would give us divine revelation and illumination. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. In February of 2019, I was in South Alabama in, the, in a hotel it was Saturday afternoon. I was to preach there in a, a church the following morning. And I was waiting on the pastor and his entourage, if you will, to pick me up for dinner. Now, they, they were late, which I expected that. So I, was, I went down and took the time to walk the treadmill. Now, it's a, 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 not a normal place to have spiritual revelation. But I've learned, and I was sharing with Pastor today, that once you 
distinguish the voice of God. You, you, you can be at Walmart or you can be in a store. You can be getting on an airplane. And God, that still small voice, when he speaks, you know and distinguish that as the voice of God. But I was walking the treadmill. I'm not sure what I was listening to exactly. I, I don't know what was being said altogether. But then at that moment, the Spirit of God was had begun to speak to me there while I was walking. And it, it, it was along this line. Now, you know, the Lord had dealt with me for some time. I would be up seeking his face and he dealt with me about the mercy seat and I read there how that he would meet with Moses and commune with him. There was a lot of things that he dealt with me, but the picture was not clear. It was line upon line precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, and I, I really couldn't see where it was going. But as I was walking that treadmill, I, when I said I didn't know exactly, I just know something stirred my heart. I, I wasn't watching television. I, I, something spoke to me, and I began to hear that still, small voice in my spirit. And he spoke to me about the outer court of that tabernacle or that temple in, in ancient Israel. I've never preached on that to my knowledge. I'm not an expert in those things. Some are. But the Lord began to speak to me about that. And he said in that outer court, here's a place, the place of salvation. Here there was the cleansing of, of sin. That blood ran off of that altar like, like a river daily as they offered up those sacrifices. And again, I heard that still small voice say, here are where most most Christians are still today in that outer court. They've been born again. They love the, they, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But then he continued. He began to talk to me about the, the, the inner court or the holy place. This place uh, where the lampstands were. That oil running through those pipes into that uh, lamp that was burning. It was supernatural actually. And uh, and, and this is what he said. This is the place of spirit baptism that many have seen the light on and have been filled with that baptism. It, it is. I, I'm walking this treadmill and I hear this. It is for witnessing and empowerment. And my people must come here to be empowered for such. You know, I, I, I realized that that message had been renewed in the church over a hundred plus years ago and we, we, a lot of those things were. My mentor used to say that John Wesley brought us the message of sanctification. It was always in the Bible. It wasn't something added in Wesley's day. It's just that God began to bring revelation to that truth. Same thing with salvation by faith through grace with Luther in his time. Folks, it was always there. It didn't just get put in the book, you know, in Luther's day. Well, that's the same about the baptism in the Holy Ghost. It's always been there, but over a hundred plus years ago, you know, in the revivals of, of Azusa Street in California and other places, not only there, but throughout the world, this took place. And he showed me this, 
This is where the Pentecostal church is still at. In this place of a holy place of where the oil is flowing and the spirit is flowing. We've dwelt there in that place for over a hundred years. And it has been a wonderful time if you are spirit filled. But listen, when I heard that, I had no clue where this was going. I'm still walking this treadmill. I'm, I don't want to get off. I don't want to interrupt this. But then I heard this in my spirit. He said, but beyond. I, I don't know how to describe to you what I felt when I heard those words, but beyond is the holiest of all. Well, I, I knew what he's talking about. I mean, I've read the word of God. In that holiest of all is where that high priest went in once a year with blood for his sin and the sin of the people. I know about that place. It's where the seraphims were over that mercy seat facing each other, crying out constantly, holy, holy, holy. You know, again, where that blood has, was sprinkled there, on the mercy seat, and I, I, I knew that. I heard that still small voice say to my spirit, the only light in this holy place is my presence. Man, the only light in this holy place is my presence. Nothing there, nothing here but the presence of a holy God. I, I, something rose up in me. I realized suddenly in my spirit, here is a place of divine illumination. Here is a place of revelation. Here is the place of glory, and it's all of God and not of man. As he is speaking that into my spirit, so I, I'm still walking the treadmill, but in my mind, I never articulated the words. I never vocalized them, but in my mind, I, I, I am, I'm thinking this, thinking. I said, yes. Now, not again, not out loud. This is where the high priest came in. And, and I, I, I want to add something to this, because I said this to myself with that rope tied around his ankle and uh, if he had sin in his life, if he wasn't perfect then they drug him out. Then someone came to me after I said that once and said, and very respectfully they said, Brother Turner, I, I've tried to find that in the Bible but it's not there. I, I thought well no, it's got to be there but it's one of those things we made there. It's not there. But I did read and understand the old rabbis the ancient rabbis said that it was in the ancient writings and that, and it makes sense because if that high priest go in and he has flaws in his life and is not perfect, then uh, uh, he falls dead. Then they can't go in there and drag him out because they're going to fall dead with him, and you're going to have a bunch of dead folks piled up in the holiest of all. It makes sense, you know, when that bell quit tinkling on the on the hem of his garment, then that means the man's dead, and we've got a, a real serious thing here. But I said that in my thinking. That, that's where that high priest go in. If he wasn't perfect, then they drug him out a dead man. So when, when I did say that, my heart felt a little heavy at that moment because I knew that I, Turner, was not perfect. Am I looking at perfect people? 
I knew that I am not perfect. I, I knew that I'm not flawless. I have never been more hungry for God in the 40, nearly 44 years of Christian life than I am right now. I've never desired God and the holiness of God any more than I do. I knew that I am forgiven. The blood has washed my sins. I've been sanctified. But I also knew that I am not perfected yet. I am not flawless yet. And so my heart got a little heavy. And then I heard that still small voice say, again, I didn't articulate this. I didn't vocalize this. But that small, still small voice said, but he, talking about that priest, he entered in under the law. But you enter in under my grace. Hallelujah to God. I, I love that song. All that he did, all that he, the, the shed blood and the price that he paid, he paid for my perfection. Can you say amen? So when God in the flesh gave up the ghost on Calvary, that veil was rent in twain. The partition wall was torn down that kept me out of that holiest of all and that kept, that would keep any of us out of the holiest of all. A.B. Simpson said this. He said, the veil represents the obstructions which came between the soul and God. And in the Hebrew dispensation, it was the full of revelation, his presence and grace. And it represents, on the other hand, the removal of these obstructions and the revelation which has some, has, since has come through the finished work of Christ. He says, so it stands on the one hand for separation, on the other hand for revelation, representing the thing which once kept us from God and then representing their removal and the way in which we may come to God in the most intimate fellowship. Hallelujah to his name. So I believe that most, all, if not all, but most, or I should say almost all, Pentecostal Christians today have stayed back in this holy place well, the oil of the Spirit is flowing and the fire is burning and the power, it, 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 the power of God is moving. And why, why not? Man, this is where it's been now for a hundred plus years. We have experienced these wonderful things of this baptism of fire and this blessing from God that uh, came upon that early church. But there is something about that holiest of all, something that we, we don't feel worthy to enter in. We don't belong there is what somehow we feel like. So we don't want to risk going in there. So we just, we, we haven't gone for the most part. I believe this is a time, a dispensation that God is calling the Pentecostal people, the spirit-filled people, if you will, to come beyond just feeling the joy and the power of the spirit, but to come to a place of separation and into, into that whole holiest of all places where he is the only light. He, he, is a, he is revelation and he is illumination and he is glory. So we feel like we, we don't want to go there, but I know we have to go there these days because of what I shared with you last night. We're entering into a different day, a different time. If you can't sense that, God have mercy on, you know, I know as I shared there in the um, in the U.S., much of the Pentecostal movement, they don't sense that at all. 
And I, you know, we talked about how that uh, they immediately, when you speak of the end of days and the end of time, it's simply we're out of here. And I do believe one day we're going to get out of here. But they, they have that mentality. And so the Pentecostal people do not want to go beyond this grand excitement and joy of the spirit-filled life. Well, I'm not saying leave it behind. I'm just saying that God is calling us deeper deeper to a place that I do not believe that we have yet gone, but he, he is calling us to. And because we are again at the end of an age, I believe it is a necessity. I believe that we're going to come there. The early Christians, I'm convinced, went there in that place with God. I know they did. I knew. I know their leaders, they were led in this. You say, how do you know this preacher? It had to be, folks. They were sinful humans before they met Christ. And, and they were changed by Christ and they were not made of anything any different than you and I. There was not something special about those folks before they met Jesus. And he forgave them of their sins. They were born into the kingdom of God and we know that they were filled with his spirit. But they face the same doubts and fears and temptations and trials and, and, and more and persecutions and more so, but they faced all of that differently than we do today. Now you, you can knock a lot of folks out of uh, their Christian experience and out of their church life by offending them. By saying something to them that is offensive, you know, maybe again, I mentioned last night, saying something to one of their children uh, in children's church and hurting little so-and-so's feelings and people will not come back to the house of God. But that early church, there was something that enabled them to face, yes, we say we have the baptism in the Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit, yes, so were they. But again, they faced things differently. And I, I believe, listen, my, I, I believe the Lord said to me during that time that my church will be brought into this place of my presence. Into this place of illumination and revelation and light. I'm not talking about getting out of the book or getting out of the Bible. In Psalm 36 and 9, I read this all of my Christian line. I just read over it like you do most of the book of Psalms. You rejoice. It's, a, it's encouragement. It's it, um it blesses us, but I never noticed this when it said, and for with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. In thy light shall we see light. I, I believe in that place of illumination and revelation and glory, in the presence of God, in the light of God's presence, that is where we see light. That's where we begin to understand. Listen, you say, what's going to happen to their, happen to us there, preacher? What's going to be the difference in us as believers as we face the end of days? I am convinced there's going to be a change, a change in those who will rise up and ascend to the hill of the Lord. I haven't preached that yet, but, but then, then, then are led into the holiest of all. You say, well, are you preaching some type of new experience? And you, no, I'm just talking about a walk with God that I believe that most Christians have not yet come to that place and that walk with God. But I believe again that we're coming to that place. You say, well, how, how is this change going to come? I'm struggling now just to make it, just to be a decent Christian, just to kind of hold on. 
Well, it comes in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. I was going to bring our books with us, but just, just not enough room. And I wrote an entire little booklet on this. I called it The Man in the Mirror. And it was based on this verse. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Changed into the same image. In the, in the presence of God, we are changed from glory to glory. Now, this is not just a one-time dash in and out. This is a constant, consistent entering into that place, into that mirror, if you will, into the presence of Christ and the full revelation of Christ. Then we are changed. You know, then I believe that after that, Paul's prayer will be answered in Ephesians 4.13 till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Now that word man there is not talking about you and I individually. It's talking about the body of Christ under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I, I oh Mr. Sparks, you know, the great British Christian uh, made this statement back many, many decades ago. And when I read this, I, I rejoiced in my spirit because when I read that verse, I absolutely knew that the church had not fully come into the fullness of the statute of Christ. We're born again. Our names are written in heaven. I'm not talking about your salvation, but I'm talking about that place, that fullness of the statute of Christ. Mr. Sparks made the statement and he said, I do not yet believe that the church, the church of Christ has yet come to fulfill this verse of scripture. But he said, I believe right before the coming of Jesus in the end of days that that will be fulfilled. And I believe the same. But we will be changed when we come into that place of 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, a metamorphosis of change, a, a process of change. I actually put in the book, but I tell them when I was a, just a child there in the mountains of Tennessee, which is much, much like uh, Northern Ireland, where I live, actually. And I, we just don't have an ocean. But I said, I, I said, as a boy, we would be outside in the summertime this time of year, and we would find what we would call a cocoon. It was a little white, silky thing hanging in a bush or something of that nature. And we would take that and take it to an adult and you'd say, what is this? And they would look at the little white cocoon and they'd say, leave that alone. Put that back. There's a butterfly in that. Don't ever tell a boy to put something back. There's a butterfly in it. Because when I get away, when you get away from the adult, then you're going to become a biologist and you're going to dissect the cocoon. So when you get away from the adult, now you dissected, dissected, dissected the cocoon, I'll get it out in a minute, then you feel like the adult didn't tell you the truth because it's not a butterfly, it's a wormy insect on the inside. But I did not understand when I was a boy the process of metamorphosis. I didn't, I didn't understand how that worked. That over time, if you leave that in that cocoon, that that little wormy insect would grow and develop. And the next thing you know, one day it's going to come out of a beautiful butterfly. Well, that's the way it is with Christ. Yes, we're born again. We haven't born again. We're ha we have a new nature. We're, we, we, we have our name written down in heaven, but we go through a process 
process of change from glory to glory. The church today, folks, when you, you know, when the world looks at us, they, I mean, man, we don't look like very much to them at all. But I'm telling you, there, there is a time coming when the pressure comes and as God begins to develop this body of Christ, again, I'm, I'm not talking about being ready for heaven, but begins to develop his body for that church glorious and that, that church, it will come into that fullness of the statute of Christ. Thank God when it's all said and done, it will be like that beautiful butterfly. It will come forth as pure gold. You know, as we come boldly before the throne of grace, the holiest of all, as we come into his presence, his light, revelation, illumination, we take on his nature, his feelings, his wisdom, his mind, his power. You know, we, we will come to that place that we can see beyond the realm of the earthly, that, and that is, I believe, being made to sit in heavenly places. We, like Christ, say, I do nothing now except what I see my Father do. I say nothing except what I hear my Father say. We, we come to the place, you know, sadly, that many Christians, we just quit barely holding on and, and barely surviving, but we become the, we, we are living the inheritance of the saint and saints and becoming that end time glorious church. And in this place is the answer then to that age old question, what is that rest and how do we enter into it? I, I, Sit in my upstairs at that time. We recently uh, sold our home and downsized a little. And but I would go upstairs mostly at night when I was not out traveling. And usually I traveled on the weekends. But um, I was sitting there early on when the Lord began to deal with me about this, and he and he just I felt impressed to read Hebrews the third chapter. And the fourth chapter again, that rest, the old commentators, I read those, and they all agreed that there was a rest, and that one day, the two rest actually, but there was a rest that would be an eternal Shabbat, eternal Shabbat in heaven, if you will, or in the millennial reign. But they also agreed that there was going to be a, another rest, but they couldn't agree on what that rest was. It's like they really didn't know. And I can tell you why, because there, it was like a veil over this for thousands of years, actually, over the, over the scripture, if you will. You know, like, again, it's like Martin Luther's time. Men had to read that. They had to see those scriptures, but somehow God opened Luther's eyes and he said, hey, you know, this, this means more than what I've been taught. Now, many of those realize it's in the end time, the day of the church, who will live and see that fulfillment of the things that are coming. I knew there was more about that rest. I just didn't know what it was. I couldn't get the answer immediately. And it just kept burning in my spirit. I'd go back into the presence of God and I'd meditate on it. And it was that place that Israel, ancient Israel, could not enter into because of their unbelief. Now, he made that plain, the correlation 
between Israel and today's church. Israel did not enter into that rest. You know, I've read that in the scripture over and over, so I really didn't fully understand what that was. But that, this was pre-Canaan. This was pre-promised land. They were supposed to enter into the rest of God. So they didn't enter into that rest. And this is what I know and believe with all of my heart, the Lord spoke to me about this. The powers of darkness who controlled enemies, their enemies in the land of Canaan overpowered them. They did not enter into that rest and because of that, the powers, the demonic forces, the demonic powers that control those in the land of Canaan overpowered them. And, because, and then they fell into backsliding. They fell into unbelief. They fell into idolatry. And then came the judgment of God because they had not entered into the rest of God. Now you and I are about to face a time like no other. Again, somebody said, well, you know, we, we talked about the debate between the tribulation and not. I'm just here to tell you, the beginning of sorrows will be like a time that we have never experienced before. That Antichrist spirit is in the world. It's moving. It, it is working. John said 2,000 years ago, he said, beloved, there are many Antichrists. He just meant the spirit of Antichrist was working then. He said, now, so now we know it is the last time. I find that really interesting. And the man spoke that 2,000 years ago and said it was the last time. But he said, there are many are the spirit of Antichrist. Well, I can tell you the spirit of Antichrist is working today. If it's not working anywhere else, it is working in the United States of America. And if we, the church, do not enter into that supernatural rest, how will we not only resist the powers, the spirit, that Antichrist spirit of this day? I mean, you have to know the secular institutions and even the so-called religious institutions. They were saying that 90-something percent of the students who graduated from Harvard University, they are absolutely the most liberal-minded people in the world. But did you know that Harvard University was once, was founded upon Christianity? It was a godly Christian university. Yale University today, one of the most vile, liberal institutions in our country and the world. But at one time, the president of Yale was Jonathan Edwards, perhaps one of the most godly saints who ever preached in a pulpit in our nation. They said Edwards studied and prayed 12 hours every day. He was the preacher of the famous sermon, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God. I'm, I'm just saying that now, how can we resist that? How can our young people resist the pressure of this day? And man, are they under pressure? It's amazing. In our high schools, in the grammar schools, and I know you read the news how that we have in some states, they're uh, having this battle as they're trying to teach children just to our, our kindergartners and, and in the second grade and the third grade, trying to teach them about uh, uh, other genders, you know, and gender change. And I, man, I could get graphic here, but just crazy. It is insanity. 
It is what Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes that said madness was in their heart while they lived, talked about, talking about men. Well, and, and that word madness there is insanity. When you translate it, it's insanity. So I said all that to say, how can we resist that in this time as we feel that pressure coming? And you know that it is. Every nation is changing. Every society is changing. Even religious institutions are changing now. It is unbelievable. I, I shared with Pastor David Wilkerson many years ago, and one of those messages that he sent out, I, I memorized an excerpt out of that. I just knew that it was prophetic. It was, uh, I don't know, could have been 20 years ago, but I never forgot that. He said this, he said, I see a great storm coming. He wasn't talking about uh, a tornado or windstorm or what. He said, I see a great storm coming. And he said, in that, I see multitudes of Christians falling by the wayside. Multitudes losing their song of joy and victory, throwing in the towel, giving up, walking away from the faith. He said, you say, how is that possible? He said, because they failed to develop a consistent daily life of prayer. They, they didn't come to that place of entering into the presence of God. You know, there's something that hinders us in this hour, this unbelief that is keeping the church from entering into the rest. But I believe we ought to know what that rest is. There's something that, that is uh, hindering a, a, the eternal purpose of God in the end time. But we are so close. We are moving into the end of days that all of this, I believe, will be expedited, if you will. It, it, that God is somehow going to intervene in the, in, in the moment of time and things are going to work fast, folks. I, I really truly believe that. This, this rest, that this rest would play a part in making the church glorious, not just for heaven, but for now. You know, listen, it will be glorious when Jesus does come for the church. It will be. But we need a glorious church today. We need a glorious church in Northern Ireland and we need one in the Republic and we need one in the United States and England. We need it in many, everywhere in the world. A glorious church is what we need now. Uh, I learned a life-changing lesson in all this. Don't keep pushing your brain when the Lord deals with you about something. Don't try to force the issue. That's where heresy and false doctrine and you'll drive yourself crazy. He will, if he reveals, he will, he'll continually help us to understand. I do believe that all of this is a part of that ascending to the hill of the Lord. And I may deal with that. I just pray about it every service. But not only for us to survive as a believer, but to be the remnant people that we must become. And I want to state again that that answer to what that rest is, how to enter into that has been in plain sight for thousands of years. It's amazing. We just read over it and then read over it. And if you were like me, I used it in my text and some messages over the years. I, I quoted it in certain sermons and, and quoted it and absolutely never, never saw it. But I'm sitting there one night and I felt impressed to go back and read the scripture of Exodus 33, 
13 and 14. Moses is talking to God. There's a conversation, a two-way conversation, and Moses said, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me thy way that I may know thee. He, didn't, he wanted to know more than, he, wanted, he wasn't talking about seeing light and fire and smoke. He had already seen all of that. He was saying to God, I want to know what makes you God. I want to know what give, what, why, why, why are you holy? Why do you say what you say? Do what you do. Think the way you think. I want to know your character. I want to know your holiness. And he said, God said back to him, that I, he, Moses said, that I, I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy side, and consider that this nation is thy people. And then God answers Moses back and said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Man, I, I, I almost, I felt like I'd come out of that chair. You mean to tell me that I've read this for years and never noticed it? That the rest of God is the presence of God. I will, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. You know, they saw a pillar of fire by night, a glory cloud by day. It was there 24-7 and God was just saying, come on. Come and seek my presence. Come enter into my presence on that mountain experience when Sinai was on, on fire and smoke. And Moses said to the people, said, uh, uh, God wants you to come up. And they said, no, no, you go. And you go find out and listen to God, whatever he has to say. And you come back and tell us and we'll do it. But Moses said, no, you, God wants you to come. And the Bible said, that the children of Israel stood afar off, but Moses drew near to the, to, the, to the presence of God. Moses drew near, but they stood afar off. They, how, did, how did they not enter into the rest of God when he said, because they entered not in? They rejected the presence of God. You say, but preacher, they, they, he's there all, all the time in the camp. That's right. But they never entered in. They never desired his presence, folks. They wanted the light by day and the fire by night, just kind of give the light in the camp and give them some comfort and security. Like most Christians today, we want the comfort and security of knowing that God is there. But we really don't want to come into the presence of God. They kept sinning and rebelling and rejecting it. And finally, one day, Moses takes the prayer tent, the tent of gathering. It says tabernacle in some places, but it's not the tabernacle that he built later with badger skins and so forth. That wasn't even built, made at the time. It's the tent of gathering, but it's there where God met with them and over that mercy seat. But Moses, he took it and moved it out of the camp. He moved it away because they did not want to go beyond 
They did not want to go into that place with God. Mr. Barnes, Albert Barnes, in his great old commentary said, that they pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp that the people might feel that they had forfeited the divine presence. Man, what, I, can you imagine that? What words? They had forfeited the divine presence. The tent was a place to be a place of meeting with Yahweh like the tabernacle which was about to be constructed. The tent of meeting as it should be called was placed afar off from the camp and the mediator and his faithful servant Joshua were alone admitted to it. The rabbis, the ancient rabbis say that they moved it at least 3,000 feet away. I don't know how many meters that is. I'd have to figure that up. But, but 3,000 feet away, out of the camp, away from the people. Exodus 33 and 11, though Moses and, and Joshua, though, were able to go into that place. And the Lord spake to Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he, talking about Moses, turned again unto the camp. He had to go out and deal with the people in the camp. But Moses, his ser or Joshua's servant, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. They didn't have any hunger. They had no desire. They just wanted to look from afar off. And man, they did. They come out of their tent at night and they saw when that glory cloud came down and Moses talking to God and they got really religious and they bowed down and they worshiped and when they went through all of the motion of it, if you will, but they did not want to enter into the rest of God or the presence of God. He's always there. He always wanted them to come into his presence. I've come to tell you and come a long way to tell you that he's calling that remnant church, that end time church out of that inner sanctuary where we have just bathed in the oil and felt the power. Not that we would lose the oil and the power. We have received that. You don't just lose that. You may cast it aside and forsake that, but you don't lose that. But he has called us into that place, that holiest of all, where there's nothing there. There's no light. Just, just the presence of God is in that place. The presence of God. Supernatural rest. We have to have. We must have. In the days ahead. I, I, I will say to you, I'm not a prophet, but I'm going to tell you, if, that, if we don't come as the people of God, and I do believe the church will, the, the real church, not all the church, but the church. But I do believe we'll come into that place and those who do not, those whose lives are just consumed with this life, you're doing better, making better, getting an extra, you know, I, I'm not against stuff, folks. I, I live in a, a nice house, just built a new house. I, uh, I drive a pretty good car. I'm not a television prosperity preacher, but you know, I, I, I am, uh, I, you look at me, I'm not hungry. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm just blessed. I thank the Lord. I don't believe that that's the way of life, you know. I just believe God blessed us all, probably since we've been saved. But I, I'm just telling you that we feel like, man, we have become so wrapped up and consumed with this present life. And I keep hearing in my spirit that a good soldier does not entangle himself with the affairs of this life. 
And I want to tell all those folks, even a lot of pastoral friends and others, you know, that you, you are so wrapped up in the politics of our nation and you're so wrapped up and entangled in that, that that's going to be the answer to the better way out of this and that Christian nationalism in the United States is going to be the answer. It never was the answer. Ask Germany, ask, uh, ask Great Britain, ask anybody that where, you know, there's a certain church and it's Christian nationalism. No, not at all. Then it becomes a thing of man. It's not a thing of God. And you can't put your hand to this. You can't touch this. It is sacred and it is holy. It is his church. It does not belong to any nation or any man. It's God. It's the body of Christ. Man, we get all caught up in this. We're consumed by stuff. We're consumed by social media. We're consumed by trying to get ahead until we don't have time to separate into the presence of God. I believe he's saying to you and I, the veil is torn now. You're under grace. His blood is on the mercy seat. Yes, we're born again, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to feel condemned if you're under the blood of Jesus. You can go into that holiest of all. You're not entering in under the law of God, which demanded death. But you're entering into the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we don't play with that grace. We don't mistreat that grace. But I'm just telling you, it is the grace of God that has made us worthy to enter in to the place of illumination and revelation and his glory. It is supernatural, absolutely supernatural. You see, I don't know how to say it any differently. It's coming. I was in, in Spain. I had no idea how they, I preached there, those uh, Encounter with God conferences, uh, I don't know, four, four or five. Once we went there, we had one weekend, one near Barcelona. We brought pastors and their wives from many different movements. Uh, and not all of them Pentecostal. I actually had some Plymouth brethren and a few Baptists mixed in with the crowd and, and uh but this time when I went, I had not been back since the Lord had begun, begun to deal with me about the church being in the end of days and what the church must do and what he's bringing his people in the church to this place. What we're about to face. And so I wasn't sure. I just wasn't sure the response. We had a lot of young couples, pastors and their wives so I, I just really prayed and asked the Lord again. I think there I had five, five times to share with them. And uh, I knew two of them would be on uh, well, um, another message kind of separated for the sake of time that I felt the Lord would have me to share with those folks. But, you know, everything has to be translated and the response, I could not read their faces. 
You come to be able to do that a little, you know, after 42 years of preaching. There was no strong emotion. Like in the South, man, you can tell if they're with you or not with you, for the most part. But I just preached. I could not be affected or impacted at all by anything. I just knew what I was there to say. And there was a pastor that had come and he had a large church, which in Spain, that's a miracle within itself, very hard country, involved in radio and TV and a network of other pastors. And he came and he said to the, to the bishop there, the leader of the church, a particular movement, and we had not just from their movement, but others, but he said to him, he said, I, I came because of your invitation. I know you. I know nothing about this American. And he said, I came because of you. I, I, he, and he, did, he began to share with him. He said, you know, he said, I've traveled to conferences and conventions everywhere. This had to be before COVID. But he said, I've traveled to all of these. He named, began to name these, especially these American uh, pastors and evangelists, you know, have these great mega ministries. And he said, I went looking and searching for what God was saying to the church in this hour. But I couldn't find it. I didn't hear it. But he said, I, hear, I heard this. And he said, I have never heard this message in my life. But I know it's the word of God. I know what he says. It's coming. I know what he says we must do. We must do. It is the word of God. Folks, God is trying to wake us up as a body and help us to prepare for the days ahead. Are we going to hear his voice? Not the voice of a man, but the, are we going to hear God speaking to our spirits to help us? I, 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 please stand. I was in California and I was preaching another message, but dealing somewhat with the same things. And I'd preached there a number of years, wonderful people, They're tell, intelligent people. Been in the church, many of them, for a long time. But I struggle sometimes. I struggle with doubt that I am articulating it. I am conveying the message properly. But when I got through, I looked, and they were kind of in a little, I guess, shock at what I had said. So I step off the platform and I go like where this brother is to the first row and I put my Bible and book down and I, I just prayed and I said, God, I said, I am very in inadequate in doing this. I'm not sure if they got it. It had nothing to do with their intellect or their ability or, or their intelligence or it was so deep they get nothing to do with that. It's just different 
we're, we're talking about the coming of Jesus and the, all the things in the world going on and we're getting, and I believe, I, I told him, I said, I, I'm watching for him. He said to, but as I shared, I don't want to keep repeating myself, but until he comes. And I said, I don't know if, if it is getting into their spirit, if they're hearing or not. I don't know how to make that work. Man, I no more got those words out of my mouth until like something unseen began to move upon the people. And I, I heard them weeping loudly. And some were praying, the spirit was moving and they were praying and weeping. Man, I sensed in my spirit it's not your responsibility. You just say it. I'll make sure that those who will hear will hear it to be ready for what's coming. He's calling us into the holiest of all. That just simply means into the presence of God. You say, well, I feel the presence of God. I did too tonight, but I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about just a church. I'm talking about every day, somewhere. I shared with pastors, a brother, uh, some couple years ago or longer, and he, I was talking about getting alone in the presence of God, not this message, but just to get in the presence of God, to hear from God in this time. And he said, at that time, he said, uh, he lived in an apartment. He had several children. He said, where am I, where am I going to get along with God? And I said, go get in your car. And just sit in the driveway. Because God is talking. God is saying something to the body. And if you will listen, God will talk to you. To prepare us for the days ahead. Would you bow your heads with me? Oh, God, help us. Father. If we could just somehow grasp that we have had the petition torn away that keep us out of that holiest of all, that place of your presence divine. That you want us there, that you are Desiring to bring us there as the body, the people of God. So that you can bring us into the rest, the supernatural rest that Israel forfeited, that others have refused. That you will bring us into this place of illumination, revelation of your word and into your glory. And change us from glory to glory, to glory. God, help us. I pray tonight that you would put a, and instill a supernatural hunger into every believer, young, middle-aged, older, in us. I pray tonight that somehow that you would make these words alive to us, Father. Real to us. 
by the power of your spirit as in you. God, give us that illumination. Give us that, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, Father.